We're uh, continuing today with our look at Gary Chapman's The, the Five Loves. Um, again, I think this is a, a book that all um, everybody should read. Um, I think it uh, is really helpful in understanding other folks and uh, does a good job of pulling what I think are a variety of, of insights. I mean, other, other books and other seminars focus on maybe one aspect of what, uh, what makes a good marriage or what makes a, a good relationship. And the insight that I think Gary Chapman has is that people receive love in different ways. Typically, they'll also give love in the same way that they receive love. But if you get two people that have different what he calls love languages, they won't be able to recognize that the other person is um, saying I love you in the way that they're conveying um, love. Uh, and his five love languages, I've got them on the board, are one, words of affection, two, quality time, three, receiving gifts, four, acts of service, and five, physical touch. And in class last time, we, uh, we looked at a couple of country western songs. Uh, I guess I'll Elvis started out as a country western artist, so I'll, uh, I'll uh, put him in that category. We're going to do one more just as a, uh, a warm-up for us today. And you've got the words to Reba McIntyre's Consider Me Gone in front of you. Uh, take a look at them. Actually, I'll, uh, I'll read them, and then we can consider what's going on in, uh, in this song. Every time I turn the conversation to something deeper than the weather, I can feel you all but shutting down. And when I need an explanation for the silence, you just tell me you don't want to talk about it now. What you're not saying is coming out loud and clear. We're at a crossroads here. If I'm not the one, you can't stand to lose. If I'm not that arrow to the heart of you, if you don't get drunk on my kiss, if you think you can do better than this, then I guess we're done. Let's not drag this on. Consider me gone. If I'm not the one thing you can't stand to lose, if I'm not that arrow to the heart of you, if you don't get drunk on my kiss, if you think you can do better than this, then I guess we're done. Let's not drag this on. Consider me. So what's going on here? What are what's what's her love language? She wants to talk about it. He doesn't want to talk. It's a communication. Okay, it's a communications problem. She wants to talk. He doesn't. He doesn't want to talk. He's clammed up. Do we, get a, do we get a sense of what her love language is using Gary Chapman's uh, categories? I'd say she's probably pretty high on words of affirmation and or quality time. Okay, yeah, it doesn't look like they're getting much either. She's getting much either words of affirmation or, or quality time. Why do, you think, why do you think words of affirmation is what's, what's missing? I mean, obviously she wants conversation um, does she also want words of affirmation? Well, there's no conversation about anything about the weather. That's pretty much an absence of affirmation. Yeah. The one thing in the line, if, if I'm not the one thing you can't stand to lose, mm -hmm. you know, she wants to hear it. I got to have you or life is over. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, he, we, don't, we don't have the picture of him and what, uh, what he's like. Um, Gary Chapman tells a story of a guy who comes home from work every day, fixes dinner for his wife, you know, cleans the house. I mean, the description of what he goes through is just incredible. And yet their marriage is falling apart, and his wife doesn't feel that, uh, that he loves her. 
And as they get in their conversation with, uh, with Gary Chapman, um, it becomes apparent that her love language is words of affirmation. I don't know whether the character Reba is uh, portraying in this song, whether her husband's coming home and cooking and, 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 and everything. I mean, in that example, I'm just thinking, well, boy, a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of wives would just be overwhelmed if their husband did everything that, that's here. He's you know, doing what he can. He's, he, in Gary Chapman's uh, story, is conveying love to her in the way that he, he receives love. He really appreciates the things that his wife does for, does for him, but she doesn't hear him saying, I love you. Um, and, uh, you know, people, people just need, need to become sensitive to what the other person's love language is, and they also need to be sensitive to what their own is, you know, and, 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 and let the other know what theirs is. Now, you all have taken tests to try and determine your love language. Let's, uh, let's take a, a little survey. I'll, I'll vote. I mean, some of you may. I, I actually came up with two, two of them. Um, equally tied in the, uh, in, in the test. How, much, how many of you found words of affirmation to be your love language? Okay. Close. How many uh, quality time, your love language? That was me. That seems to have the, the majority of the, of the group, or at least I was one of them. How many uh, receiving gifts? Nobody will admit to uh, being, being selfish, especially after the sermon that we heard today on, <laughs> on material possessions. Um, four, acts of service. Okay. My wife was here. That was one of, her, one of hers. And then five, physical touch. Well, kind of, a, kind of a spread. Was anybody surprised by the answer that, uh, that the tests showed for you? Sometimes people are, and sometimes people can't really fig figure it out. You, you were surprised. I mean, not by, not by the top one, but by the very close, you know, close one. I was, I was semi-surprised that, you know, that uh, words of affirmation were that important to me. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Maybe okay. you're taking them for granted, and maybe yeah. it'd be good if you passed this uh, this insight on to your on onto your wife. And by the way, we really appreciate you being with us today. <laughs> so what I can see where um, Mary Jo and I are different. She spends a lot of time thinking about gifts for me, mm -hmm. and giving me gifts, and I enjoy them when I get them. I hardly ever think about giving gifts to her, but that would clearly sh express to her love mm -hmm. if I did that more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, good. Good. Maybe maybe we're 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 helping y'all out a bit a bit a bit here. Maybe there will be some good come out of the uh, come out of the class. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, each of the love languages, but. Uh, you all may have insights as well to share. So as I as I go, and uh, um, as I go through, feel feel free to jump in with comments, and I'll just work through them in the order that uh, that you have them on your list. Um, first, words of affirmation, um, and this applies in all sorts of re relationships. I think it's uh, particularly important for children. There was an interesting study that was done some years ago in uh, um, a group in Germany were studied, um, a group of, of children who had been raised uh, in, in prison with their mothers in very difficult circumstances, but the children were placed with their mother in, in, uh, in the prison. These were compared with a group of American children, uh, same, same sort of age, ages, but children in wealthy families where uh, the children were raised in daycare, very expensive uh, daycare, 
but the, the children that were raised in prisons with their moms did much better than the, uh, the kids that were raised in the wealthiest of circumstances. The assessment of that was that they got more direct attention. Um, I guess that could fit as a, an example of quality time, but that they also got more words of affirmation from their moms than they did from the, uh, from the daycare workers. The, uh, the notion of words of affirmation are, are important. And, uh, and again, this is not something that comes naturally to some people. One of the songs that we analyzed last week involved a dad who did all sorts of things for his kid. He was always tuning up the car for him. He helped him pick out a car. He, when he went and visited him at his home, he did all sorts of things around the house for the dad. And you just get the picture that that was sort of his whole life. Acts of service would have been his love language, and that's the way he was telling his kid, I love you. But the kid just never um, understood that until he was, uh, was much older. But, uh, but some for some people, um, words of affirmation, extremely important. Encouraging words or words of affirmation can be extremely important to um, another person's development um, with a friend or with a, with a spouse. Look for ways that uh, their latent potential might be there. I mean, sometimes it's your encouragement. Well, you know, you're good at this and you don't really try it. Maybe you're hesitant to, uh, to do it, but you really are. Um, you know, why don't, why don't you give that a try? I mean, there's a lot of people that uh, are maybe a little shy or a little hesitant to step forward into a new area and try a new thing, uh, but words of encouragement from a spouse or a, or a friend may give them the, the courage to step forward into something that can be very positive for them. The, um, I really learned something from my parents in this area. And I used to, I used to sort of wonder, we would get, we would get together and um, this was a after I was married. And my parents always make a point when we're together to talk about how happy they are that I married Denise. And how um, they sense that that has really been a positive aspect of their, of their lives. Indeed, they feel that way about all of their um, children, um, sons-in-law and daughter, daughters-in-law, and sometimes they'll say that when we're together with, uh, with the whole group. And I know that uh, that means a great deal to, uh, to my wife, Denise. A second thing is... Uh, um, you know, affirm your spouse in front of other people. Let, uh, let them know how proud you are of, of her. Um, sometimes maybe affirm him or her when the spouse isn't around and when your spouse learns, oh, you know, your husband said something really nice about you. I mean, that, uh, that I think will really help to uh, give them confidence. We don't usually think of, of uh, people who are making requests of us doing so in affirming, in, in affirming manner, but uh, one of the insights that Gary Chapman has is that as you look at these five love languages, it's important for you to convey to your spouse the, what your love language is and to, act, to actually ask for things that um, will address your love language needs. If you, um, it's important though that you do that in the right way and doing so as a matter of a request rather than sort of a nag, the nagging or, or, or as a demand is a way of actually affirming someone, affirming their worth, letting them know that you need this from them but, uh, but doing so in a way that will affirm them. Um, if words of affirmation is not your love language, 
but you recognize that it's the love language of your spouse or your friend or your children, um, again, it may be something that you'll need to work at and think about. And Gary Chapman gives very practical advice. You may have to basically do homework. You know, listen for words of affirmation that other people use and make a list of those and occasionally refer back and think, well, have I said something nice to my uh, spouse or husband or friend or employees or children um, within the last two days? Make a point of at least affirming them uh, twice a week and uh, maybe keep a record so you can check up on yourself. It just won't come naturally. To, uh, to some people. So that's words of affirmation. Uh, quality time. Well, what's, uh, what's quality time? It's not just spending time with somebody. Quality time uh, can be that. Um, when uh, Denise and I watch um, Dancing with the Stars and I fall asleep and we're together for uh, a, cu a couple of hours I don't check my box and say, well, that's my quality time with Denise, <laughs> nor does she with, she with me. I mean, quality time is time when you're interacting with, with something. I mean, I think sometimes a, uh, a serious, thoughtful television show can spark conversation, and it, uh, it could, could be quality time. But generally, what we're, not talk, we're not talking here about watching TV with your spouse or your friend or your, or your children. Um, it's time that's going to generate interaction uh, between you, time that might generate quality conversation. And quality conversation is not something that comes easily to, uh, to every, everyone. Uh, Chapman notes that uh, and you go, a lot of times when you go to a restaurant, you can look around and unfortunately you can tell who the couples are in the uh, restaurant that are married to one another and who are the couples that are dating one another. Uh, the couples who are dating one another look into one another's eyes and uh, are attentive to one another. Uh, the rest of the other couples are uh, checking their iPhones or they're looking around the restaurant. Um, they're not looking at one another. The um, I've listed a couple of things there. I mean, sometimes I, sometimes I teach uh, client interviewing and counseling at Pepperdine Law School. And uh, I'll teach people how to interview clients in a way that's going to get the most information from the client and um, help enable the lawyer to best make the decision. And those of you that are professionals, may, you may in accounting classes, medical school classes, um, have similar um, instruction, but the advice that Gary Chapman uh, gives, which I've put down on your, uh, your notes, um, are those that, uh, that could very well come in a class like that. Um, maintain eye contact. Um, this is something that I've had to learn how to, how to do, but you maintain eye contact. Remember, there's a, there's a friend of mine that taught at uh, Pepperdine, and it was, almost, it was almost sort of scary sometimes to be with him because he, his, he would always be looking at me directly in the eye, and I got the sense that he was looking into my soul. <laughs> and you don't need to be that intense, though maybe that's good, but, but that does give you, that gave me or helped to teach me that Eye contact is very important for letting a person um, know that, uh, that you're listening to them. Uh, to give your full attention. Um, you know, don't be checking email while you're, uh, you're talking to someone. You may be able to multitask. You may be very good at that, and you may actually, in fact, be paying attention. But quality time um, is, in part, conveying to the other person that you're paying attention as well. Uh, listen for feelings. Um, you know, what emotion is your spouse experiencing when your spouse experience is conveying something really serious and letting you know what he or she's feeling or your friend in a friendship uh, relationship. 
um, listened for that emotion and reflected back. Um, you know, I can, I can tell this really scares you or really concerns you or if, if that happened to me, I would be uh, really excited. Um, you know, that kind of conversation is important. And then don't interrupt. Uh, you know, they've taped conversations between folks and what they found is that conversations typically last 17 seconds before the other person interrupts. I mean, that's the, a that's the average. And it's actually even worse for professionals. <laughs> and the, you know, when the client starts, to, starts talking, you're the expert, and so you feel like you need to jump in with advice or clarification or something. You know, just let the person talk, talk through. A few years ago, we had uh, the risers, a wonderful counselor, physician, uh, couple in the church uh, speak on marriage relationships and one of their practices is and suggestions is that the, at the end of the day when you're together ask the other person what the high point and low point of their day was. Um, that's a good way to start a conversation and, and that seminar is on the, uh, the ABF uh, in internet for those that want to hear more on that. Um, quality time is extremely important with children, uh, really of all, of all ages. Um, this was the thrust of my daughter's email to me that I read to you a couple of, couple of weeks ago. I got a, uh, an email from her. She's now a counselor in a high school. And uh, she said the theme of the week was, you know, the girls coming in with all sorts of problems and they were all at the root of them, she felt, was not having a sense that their dads loved them. And uh, it was a very touching thank you for the time that, uh, that we had spent together as she was coming up. I must admit that the time we spent together was probably as much a function of our being members of Indian princesses and Indian guides as any intention on, on my part. Um, I think that's one of the most wonderful organizations. Each of my kids, we've participated in that, but it's a disciplined organization where every two weeks you have time where you get together with some other dads and kids. Part of your job at that is to have a report on what project you did with your, uh, your mom or dad, or excuse me, with, you, with, with your dads. I mean, I think, I think they recognize there that Quality time is more of a problem of dads with children than typically of moms with, with children. And I, uh, I must say I uh, attribute the uh, YMCA's Indian Guide program with, uh, with having really helped my relationships with my kids and I think they, they've benefited. A warning to you, and I think this is a danger for uh, maybe dads in good quality churches like ours that have strong youth programs. Don't cede this responsibility to your church. No matter how good the youth program is in a church, it won't take the place of a father-child relationship. I think families should eat dinner together regularly. One time Mike San Martino, one of our assistant pastors, taught a class on uh, family values. And I remember part of the class was he said, go home and ask your children what, are you, what do they perceive as your family values. And that was a really interesting exercise for, for all of us because you, you wind up learning that your kids perceive that the family values are sometimes somewhat different from the way you perceive the family values to be. And uh, our kids put at the top of the list um, eating dinner together. Um, one time I remember, you know, and that's a struggle because your kids want to gobble everything down and then race away from the table. And I can remember one time telling my, telling my kids, you know, when I said, slow down, let's talk about what your day, what your day was, et cetera. And, you know, they sort of shrug. And, and then I said, I want you all to know that the high point of my day is when I have dinner with you all. And they looked at me like, man, this guy needs to get alive. <laughs> <laughs> they were stunned at how 
bereft my life was of interesting things. <laughs> anyway, so I was glad to hear that they perceived that as uh, an important family value. The, uh, the second thing they identified was getting good grades. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, we encourage our kids to study hard to get good grades, but the way they perceived it was it was that test score whereas I perceived it as we were trying to encourage our children to, uh, to learn, and so it generated an interesting co quality conversation at the, at the dinner table that night. So what's a quality activity? Chapman says it's, it's anything that one or both of you um, have an interest in doing and at least one of you is willing to do. At least one of you wants to do it, and the other's willing to do it, is the way, is the way he, he put it. So it may be a matter of you sort of being willing to do something that uh, your spouse really wants to do. Something that you maybe aren't all that in, interested in doing. Um, he says, try to do something your spouse likes to do, but you don't like to do. And he has a list of possibilities there. Um, you know, go to a NASCAR event or go antique shopping. <laughs> Would they ask you if the stars qualify? Um, <laughs> probably not if you're dozing off. <laughs> Actually, dancing with the stars generates some interesting uh, conversations with us. I seem to be quoting uh, a lot of the Sunday school class teachers that, uh, that we've had here at ABF. This is my, this is my third uh, quote of the day a long time ago, maybe 20 years ago. Greg Hultgren, who is an attorney, taught a Sunday school class here. And uh, it was on husband-wife relationships. And he said, well, you know, what if you're a lawyer and you're in the middle of a trial? and for two weeks, you're just absorbed with that trial? Or what if you're an accountant and you're approaching tax um, deadline and for two weeks, you know, you're working um, 12, 12 hours a, a day um, and you just can't spend significant quality, quality time with your spouse or you know, I mean, I think it, I think it applies as well to stay-at-home parents who are just, you know, you've got three young children, a couple in diapers, and they're just absorbing all, all of your time, and you just don't feel like you can give any quality time to your spouse. Um, he says that it's important to talk about that so your spouse understands, um, you know, your, your situation, um, but even with that, to have... Um, a short time, maybe dinner, maybe it's got to be a fairly quick dinner, but for that dinner to be a time when you're completely focused on your spouse is a good ameliorative um, measure. It doesn't take the place of, of uh, you know, longer periods of, of time, but to have the time, and his focus was on in which your focus is entirely on your spouse because the danger is you're going to be there and you're just sort of half there and you're absorbed with whatever else it is, or you're just tired and can't really uh, really focus your attention on the, uh, on the person that you're with. The, I've, I've, mentioned, um, I've mentioned good examples you know, having dinner together, um, taking a walk together as things that would be examples of quality time. I guess I've mis mentioned some bad ones too, watching Dancing with the Stars. But I wanted to open things up um, and see what kind of suggestions you might have as you think of places that you've been maybe with friends or spouses or others that have generated quality conversation, quality time. Any ideas? Okay, um, a little bit louder. Sorry, uh, my daughter and I love um, astronomy and we love um, when there's like meteor showers and um, so 
one of the our favorite memories is a couple of years ago when there was a really good one um, going on. We grabbed a bunch of blankets and we actually drove down to Zuma Beach at night. At, in technically, I don't think you're supposed to go out there, but I think as long as you're quiet and you're not causing trouble, it's okay. So we grabbed a bunch of blankets. We went out there. We laid out one blanket laid down on the blanket, pulled the others over us. We were just all snuggled up because it was in December. And um, just watched the stars for probably like an hour and just laid there and talked. And um, that was a lot of fun. It was just, you know, and it's cheap <laughs> so, for those of us that are not. Well, good. What a, what a great memory. I mean, one, one thing one thing about that that's different from, say, having dinner or going for a walk is having dinner and going for a walk, you have to sort of generate the discussion. Mm -hmm. When you do things, and maybe particularly with kids, you know, particularly younger, younger kids, it's not like you can just go for a walk and um, go for dinner and immediately jump into conversation that your kids are going to enjoy. Yeah. Doing something like that, that generates the conversation is is good okay good any any other ideas I think just being in the car together is really I was just gonna say that yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter who you're with yeah. really it's like you're able to focus yeah if it's especially if it's a long right. you know, drive an hour or so or something like that I find real good quality conversation Okay, good. Just time in time in the car. So maybe pick things to do that are a long ways away, <laughs> um, because you'll fill fill the time. Of course, when everybody's got their iPhones on and you know everybody's listening to whatever they're, um, that's not going to generate the good conversation. So maybe maybe intentionally, you know, don't do that for uh, for, for part of the time. Okay, maybe one more. Any any. Any special getaway that uh, husbands or wives can think of that uh, that you've had that was was helpful in generating conversation? Well, I think that just getting away mm -hmm. was, um, as you mentioned, was you know was something that really helps um, because there isn't anything else to distract you from everyday sort of business and life. You know the pressures, I guess, uh, that we normally have. So getting away is, and and it's something that, I guess, it combines getting away and being in the car together. But listening, we'll listen to podcasts of, of stories, mm -hmm. books, which generates a lot of conversation between us. Not only about that, but you know, you know, it, it starts that conversation. So. I, found that really interesting, how that works. I never thought of it that way, but you know, it does it does happen. Okay, good. Does quality time though always mean doing something that will generate quality conversation? Because like for example, Jim and I went on um, a really short trip up to Vancouver, BC, and um, one of the best times that we had was just we biked around whatever that island is, or the, the park, Stanley Park. Um, and it was great, but it didn't necessarily generate a whole lot of conversation, but we just had a fantastic time together. Mm -hmm. So I would count that as quality time, even though I wouldn't necessarily, like, want to just go back and, you know, have a conversation about that time where it didn't particularly generate, you know, inspire us to quality conversation. So I guess I'm, yeah, I'm I, asking. I don't. I don't think. I don't think it has to. I mean, the the label is quality quality time. So it is time that's uh, that's significant. I mean, conversation is special in its own way because it helps you to develop an understanding of the of the other person. Um, but but quality time, just doing something together, is uh, is 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 I think the ma the main focus of this means of expressing love toward. Uh, Toward your spouse and receiving love, and again, again, um, back to the back to our focus, which is this is a love language. You know, if there's one or both of you that for whom this is your love language, I think the kind of the question is, how does that person or persons react to it? What are they? 
what are they longing for? It is, is it the conversation or the, the doing of things? But I, but I think just the doing, doing something together is, uh, is, is the main um, focus that's here. Well, next, third, uh, receiving gifts. Um, what are gifts? Visual symbols of love. And they can be, I mean, they're more important to some people than others. Um, I mean, people have different attitudes towards wedding rings. I'm sort of fortunate in that mine just won't come off. I don't think I've had it off in a long, in a long, long time. Um, for for some people, you know, that's something that they they really treasure. I mean, they'd be devastated if they, uh, they they lost that. Others, you know, would be, you know, could go get another one or easily or it's uncomfortable so they don't wear it and you know their spouse doesn't uh, doesn't care um, for others it is it is very significant um, for some people a more expensive gift is more more meaningful um, my wife and I are sort of the opposite I mean if if one of us gives the other a uh, uh, you know a gift that's kind of nice you know, it just adds something to it that we got in, on sale. <laughs> Whereas I think for some people, it's uh, it's it's just just the opposite. The more you've paid for it, the uh, the, the better. Um, and then for some people, this is a foreign language. I think I told you about my grandmother who uh, had gotten a dozen roses from some from a guy that was her suitor a long long ago and. You know, as she told me about it, she thought it was just silly that he would spend that much money on her. Well, you know, other people would have just been overjoyed to get, you know, a, a dozen roses and think, wow, this guy really does, does like me. And this is something where you need to be sensitive to your, uh, to your spouse or to, to, your, to your friend. Um, within some families, you know, there's not a strong tradition of giving uh, gifts and that being important, but within within others, uh, it 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 is important. Any any comments on this this love language? Actually, I have a lot of thoughts about that one because it is not a strong um, area with me. But I have a daughter and a sister-in-law who are both very very high on the gifts, and um, so. With my daughter, what I've discovered is it's not always the gift itself, but the presentation. So if I just have, it doesn't need to be anything expensive, but even if I just made like cookies while she was at school and I boxed them up and wrapped them and put them at her place at the table, she will be thrilled to pieces that I gave her a gift. Mm -hmm. It didn't have to, you know, it didn't cost me much. And um, it's just, if, or if I sneak a little note of, in an envelope, and um, make sure that it looks pretty. Stick it under her pillow at night or something. And that, that's another thing that'll just thrill her. Takes me a long time to think of these things because it's just not natural for me. But um, those are just some of the things that I've, I've discovered. It's not necessarily all about the materialism. Like people like me, I tend to think, oh, that's so materialistic. Like we were talking about before, but it's. It's not necessarily the materialism. It's just that, oh, they did something unusual, something different for me, and I mm -hmm. think that seemed to be, um, that seems to be the the expression that they're looking for. It's just, um, and like with my sister-in-law, it would again not necessarily be something expensive, but just something that showed that I'm thinking about what she's going through right now, like. She just moved. She would probably, I haven't done it, but she would probably, like, she loves Starbucks and she's always tired right now. So, you know, just to give her like a $10 gift card to Starbucks or something, um, she'd probably just be totally thrilled with that. Now I'm going to have to go out and do it. <laughs> and we've got you on tape. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that type of thing where it's not something expensive, but it just, it's just something a little bit unusual that shows that you're thinking about them. Mm -hmm. when they're not right with you or that sort of thing. Great. So. Great. Guys, maybe if you wrote a, a poem for your wife, she would appreciate it. I've never done that. I'd fall off the chair. Nor, nor, <laughs> nor do I expect to, just in case my wife listens to the tape. <laughs> 
the uh, you know here here as well um, as with the, uh, the the giving of uh, of, of compliments uh, you know if you're if you're if this doesn't come naturally to you you may have to do your homework and sort of look around and try and think about it you may have to sort of try and you know keep a notebook with uh, with gift ideas when your friend or spouse mentions something that uh, that someone else has that's uh, um, appealing to them jot it down and keep that in mind four acts of service um, you know seek to please other people by serving them um, I think some some people uh, maybe particularly some men see their job as being a means of service to their family and to their to their spouses um, you know they they go to work I mean I can remember I worked construction construction a summer and I remember one you know just rugged uh, you know carpenter guy and he was described describing his uh, his work um, in a way that I found really quite touching as it being something that he did for for his family. Um, as I mentioned at one point I, I was uh, practiced law for five years and I would do some family law cases and I can remember I can remember several clients who were men who in the course of the uh, the divorce proceedings um, became really upset because the, in trying to determine child custody and child support and child, child visitation, there was no appreciation expressed by the law or no attention expressed by the law to the fact that they had worked and they saw that as a service that they were giving to their child, children. Um, all of the attention was more on the time with, uh, that was spent with, uh, with children. Which I'll just add, I you know, as I've kind of mentioned before, I think in fact is more important to the to the children themselves. But I think for these these men, they saw that as an act of service that they were giving to their spouse and children, and oftentimes it's not perceived that way by uh, by their wives. I know I appreciate it when my wife, every time we go out to dinner or we go out as a as a family she'll thank me for the for the dinner i guess recognizing that i've worked hard and earned money and that's what's what's enabling us to uh to uh, to do that i think for for men who see acts of service as being a a means of expressing love that could be especially important i think expectations are important here one man that gary chapman counseled said I expected it to be like my family. Dad worked and mom took care of things at home. You know, that was what his expectations were. He saw that as a means of exchanging love, even though in that particular case it wasn't a means of sharing love that his wife felt was important. Again, here just a caution. If this is your love language, if, uh, if you respond very positively to this, um, it's important how you convey that to your spouse. Don't nag, um, but you know, learn to uh, to request in sort of clear, direct ways. Um, acts of service from uh, from your spouse. Comments on acts of service. We'll, we'll move to the last one, which is uh, which is physical touch. Physical touch uh, is important to babies. I mean, one of the things that they've shown is that kids, babies, if they're hugged and kissed, they develop a much more healthy emotional life than those who are left for long periods uh, without, without physical contact. I mean, we all need physical touch as a means of affirmation, but for people, for some people, this is their love language. Um, as I'm as I mentioned, I think the, uh, the author is a bit ambiguous about this. Gary Chapman is. In some areas, he talks like sexual relations between um, a husband and wife is not a love language. Um, at other times, he seems to recognize that, uh, that it is. 
Uh, my own feeling is that it's almost like there, sh there should be there two love languages um, here. Because I think some, for some people, physical touch as a means of showing affection is a love language. It's a way that they convey love. It's a way that they receive love. For others, and they're not necessarily the same folks, for others, sexual relations is a very important way of giving and, uh, and receiving love. Um, and um, should be, you know, should be recognized as such by uh, by a spouse. People are different here. I can remember a conversation. I'm, a, I was an elder at the church at the time. I don't think this is conveying something that's confidential elder information. But I remember when Tom Brewer, who used to be the pastor of the church first came to us with the idea of our hiring um, Andy Garcia as, the, uh, as a youth pastor. Um, he said that he had, he had met Andy, and this was the first time he'd sort of interviewed him as a possible youth pastor, and he said, you know, that guy just couldn't keep his hands off of me. <laughs> And those of you that know Andy know that he's that way. He's a big hugger, and he's always patting you on the back. And, uh, and Tom says, I'm not that way. So I had to sort of pull back, pull back a little bit. But he says, on our pastoral staff, we need somebody like that. <laughs> so that was a, that was a positive from, from him. When my daughter Christina went to London um, for a semester with, uh, with Pepperdine, it was interesting as we went to the um, to the gate at uh, at the the airport to send her on our way. We had a nice conversation. It was uh, well, you know, going to London's going to be a great experience. You're going to learn a lot. You'll have all these great experiences. We wish you could go. Maybe we'll be able to come over for a short visit. Uh, we gave her a little hug, and then she was on her way. Right next to us was her best friend and their family, and they're all weeping. Tears are coming out of their eyes. They're, the, the three of them were in an embrace and just would not let go. And I looked over at them, and I was just sort of embarrassed. I thought, well, we love our daughter, too. <laughs> but, you know, people just convey, uh, convey love in, in, in different ways, and I think you need to be, uh, be sensitive. I don't, I don't think Christina has any emotional scars from not having had a 15-minute hug. <laughs> Actually, she probably would have emotional scars if we did give her a 15-minute <laughs> hug. But, uh, but anyway, I think you need to be sensitive to you know, where, where your spouse is in, in, in this area. Um, some, for some people, this is extremely important. And for some people, it's uncomfortable to hug. And if you're somebody that's uncomfortable with a hug and your spouse is, you know, one for whom this is a, this is a love language, you may need to push yourself to, uh, to hug him or her. Um, take your cue from the spouse if that's what's important to them. You know, push yourself to do it. Any comments on any of this before I give get to some overall practical advice. Well, just overall practical advice. Um, it's a, important, I think, to learn to appreciate your spouse's or friend's attempts to express love in their language, even if it's not your own. Uh, you may not care one bit about receiving flowers, but if you're spouse or friend gives you, gives you flowers, recognize that by giving it to you, um, that's their means of saying, I love you. Second, learn to speak your spouse's love language. Um, I mean, we've taken some tests to, to try and identify what your love language might be. Uh, on your sheet, I've got some things listed that, uh, you know, are, are good ways of identifying a love language. Maybe I'll just jump to that right now. You know, how do you determine somebody's love language? Well, you can take the test that I just gave you, but here's some other questions because some people have difficulty identifying this. Ask, what have I most often requested of my spouse? 
a lot of times what you've request will indicate to you what you would receive as a love from them and and I this applies vice versa you know what has your spouse or friend requested of you and here again it's important that these requests be made in the right right way not as criticism but as requests respectful requests what does your spouse fail to do or say that hurts you the most deeply when they fail to do something or say something that may be an indication that that's your love language. Examine what you do or say to express your love toward your spouse or friend. That's probably the way that you receive love. And then, um, for those of you that are married, go back to the experience of falling in love. What was it about your spouse that attracted you to them in your early days. That's likely to be your love language. And then finally, ask just what would be the ideal spouse to me? The ideal spouse to you um, might be someone that, uh, that would have different, uh, might, be, might, might be someone that had qualities that, uh, that would be your love language. So, I mean, learn to sp- identify your spouse's love language, learn to speak your spouse's love language. Third, let your spouse know what your love language is, working together on showing love to each other in each other's love language is an important thing. A final bit of, uh, and I think this is, this is practical advice, but it's actually a transition into um, our look at C.S. Lewis, because this was an insight that uh, I gained from, uh, from C.S. Lewis. He says that there are really three different types of love. There's need love, there's gift love, and then there's appreciation love. The first two we can we get a visual picture of need love and gift love when we see a mother nursing a baby or maybe a father hugging a child. Um, We would say that uh, the parent loves the child in that picture. We would also say that the child loves the parent in in that picture, but note that the the modes of expression are very different. I mean, the experience of the, of the mother or the father in that context is gift love. Uh, they experience an emotion from giving to the child. Uh, the child, in those cases, is experiencing need love. It's the fulfilling of the need on the part of the child that's um, the, the, the emotion of love that the child is experiencing at that time. Is one of these a superior form of love? Is one of these a superior form of love? Lewis said he started out his book thinking that his book would, you know, analyze these things and conclude that gift love was by far the the superior form of love. Um, He says... You know, when we show gift love, we're looking like God or we're more like God because God, his relationship with us is one of gift love. So is gift love superior to need love? Is need, is need love sort of a second, second class love? Why so. not? Because I think, uh, for example, in your examples, the, the baby uh, hasn't developed to the point of being able to give as the mother has. And the same thing for the father and the child. They're both coming from where they are. And that's a different place. And you need to account for the situation that they're in Mm -hmm. and where they are at the moment. And uh, baby and uh, young son are very different from mother and father. Mm -hmm. Okay, I I mean, I think a a very valuable point. It sort of depends on the situation in which, which people find them 
one means of love may be and the appropriate means of expressing love in a particular situation. But even as you've expressed it, it's, it's, uh, it's sort of like the, the child learns to do gift love, um, that gift love is sort of the advanced form of love. I would, uh, I would maintain that because I would say that the baby who didn't learn to be like that mother or the baby who didn't learn to be like that father in the process of growing up were deficient in love. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Other, other thoughts on whether, whether need love is a kind of a second-class love? Yeah, Bill. Yeah, I, um, a former pastor of mine, a guy named Joe Alders, used to say um, that he talks about you know, giving people the gift of your need and especially in the context of like our unchurched friends, he says, um, it's very important that we give them the gift of our need. In other words, that, that we need to be vulnerable to the point to say, I need some help and allow those people to step in and fill that need. And if we kind of have this pretense of we don't have any needs, everything's okay with us, then people cannot step in and give us that gift love because we haven't expressed our need. And that that is a a gift that we can give to them. Okay, good. I mean, I think I think a great a great insight as well. I mean, what's our relationship with God? I mean, when we say that we that we love God, is that a a gift love or a need love? I mean, that's a that's a need love. And Lewis has this uh, this this one 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 great statement. Um, he says that man's spiritual health is exactly proportional to his love for God. Man's spiritual health is exactly proportional to his love for God. And of course, his love for God or our love for God is a need, a need love. The more we recognize our need for God and our love for God, I think the, the better off our spiritual health is. And is as Bill has suggested, it applies to our relationships with one another as well. You know, I've, I've always tended to want to be independent. And I mean, I think that's a problem with Americans generally. We're individualists. We're the rugged individualists. We don't need um, other people. I can remember one particular incident um, I had this, you know, sort of old ten-year-old uh, uh, Falcon that I drove that had about 120,000 miles on it, and I had a friend who just got a new Rabbit convertible. This is obviously 30, 30 years ago or so, and I can remember being envious of his Rabbit convertible. And I was in law school at the time in Charlottesville, about an hour away from where my folks live in Richmond. And I was going to go to my sister's birthday party. And um, my car broke down. Um, I wasn't on the way. I just realized, well, I'm not going to be able to go because my car broke down. And word of that got out. And my friend uh, Dale Ditto, who was a law school classmate, uh, found out about it, and he says, well, take my car. Well, I wasn't raised in a family where you, you know, borrowed other people's cars and went on fairly long trips. I was kind of envious of it, any, any of his car anyway. And uh, so I, I turned him down. I said, well, no, no, I, I don't think I can do that. That would be too much for me to... to uh, you know, expect of, of, of someone to take from me. He said, no, no, go ahead. And I said, no, no, thanks, but, but no thanks. I just wouldn't be comfortable doing that. And then I started to think about it, and I basically came up with the same, you know, insight that Bill just shared, that um, the scriptures encourage us to share with one another and share with particularly those within the, the body of Christ and if people are going to be able to share, other people need to be willing to accept, um, accept gifts. Um, and so I called him back and said, I'd love to, I'd love to use your car. Thank you. <laughs> it kind of hurt me to, to say that. I, um, I've also saw, seen that in, uh, in, in myself um, 
just with the matter of giving gifts, I almost sort of resent receiving gifts because for me to get a gift is suggest, to suggest there's something that I need, something that's deficient about me, um, and that I'm not the independent person that I, that I think I am. And I just, I've, I've had to learn to, uh, to receive gifts. So if you want to help me out in that respect, <laughs> I'll tough it out and, uh, and accept a gift from, from any of you. I know we can get some cookies wrapped in a box. <laughs> Good. Well, uh, C.S. Lewis's book is The Four Loves. Um, and uh, Lewis, well, let's see, just, just to, to wrap up uh, my practical insights, excuse me, from, uh, from, from The Five Loves. Uh, this last one, I think, is just to... Um, identify your what your love language is and be willing to express your need to uh, to your spouse or to your friends or or whomever don't be the rugged individualist um, you know it's a it's actually a gift to someone to let them know what your need is it shows them them respect and will build the relationship um, you know on an equal plane don't always perceive yourself as the giver. Um, let your spouse or friend uh, know that you're, you're a person with needs and you want to receive their love as well. Let them know what your means of receiving love is. Well, at this point, we're in some ways making a transition to C.S. Lewis's uh, book, the, F the Four Loves. Our focus has been on Gary Chapman's book, though, though I've done so in the context of one of C.S. Lewis's Four Loves. Again, C.S. Lewis identifies uh, there being three natural loves. The three natural loves are affection, um, number two, eros, which includes romantic love and sexual love, and then friendship. And fourthly, uh, in his book, at least in fourth place, is, uh, is God's love, or the fourth one that, uh, that he covers. We're shifting the order of those. We started off with God's love. Um, we looked at hesed, the loyal love that's uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, we looked at agape, which is the servant love that's focused on in the, uh, in the New Testament. And we did that first because one of the things C.S. Lewis says is that the three natural loves um, are deficient if they're not um, qualified or affected by, um, by God's love. And so as we look at the three natural loves, part of what we'll be, be doing is trying to identify, you know, What's the defect in this love? Or what's the, what's the danger that's created in this love? I mean, C.S. Lewis says that any of these natural loves, if left to its own devices, will become demonic, will become, become dangerous. There's certainly a positive side to each. He says these natural loves can be a precursor to coming to understand God's love. We can get a hint from them of what God's love might be. But if left to its own devices, uh, they, can, they can be dangerous. The first one that we're going to take a look at is uh, affection. Affection is the feeling of fondness or tenderness, especially that parents feel towards their offspring. Picture of it is a mother nursing a baby. The special glory of affection is that it can unite people that are different from one another. In the South, there was, I mean, people that weren't in the South don't really appreciate this or can't, can't quite sense it. Um, I came along during a, during a period of time when there was segregation in the South. Uh, it's, it's sort of envisioned as uh, a matter of tension between the relationship. Uh, the, uh, the, the races of hatred within the, among the races. Um, in fact, there was interaction and there was an affection that was, that um, I think very often 
white people had to the nanny in their house or the nurse in their house or the maid in, in their house. Um, it's, a, it's a relationship that can be present between those that are not equals. The, of course, the danger of it is that it doesn't go very, very far. It may not go very far. It can be a relationship that can be combined with unequal treatment that, uh, as, as envisioned in that uh, description there. I mean, I think visually it's uh, portrayed in Gone with the Wind, the affection that they had toward the slave nanny, uh, nanny in the case. Um, almost anyone can be an object of affection. The ugly, the stupid uh, can be one to whom this, this relationship is a is, uh, is developed. Um, probably our love for our pets is a matter of affection. We feel comfortable with them because they're not demanding. After a long, hard day, there's nothing better than snuggling with my, uh, our, our dog. Well, maybe snuggling with my wife, but <laughs> that, there's more to that. You know, there's a warm comfortableness about affection. There's a satisfaction in just being together. There's not a need to talk. There's not a need to make love. Affection is sort of like the old comfortable clothes that I love or the old comfortable chair that, uh, that, that, that I love. So that's an introduction to, uh, to, to what affection is. Your homework for this week is to think a little bit about um, what might be the deficiencies with, uh, with, with affection. I've already mentioned one, affection can be present um, and can be almost a d demeaning thing. Uh, it can be present in a relationship where we reduce the other person to secondary status. Uh, but what are the other deficiencies that might be there with affection? And just a little, uh, um, a little hint of what we're likely to get next week. Next week we're going to have a special visitor, um, a, uh, a demon from, uh, from the, the dark side. Screwtape is going to visit us and uh, uh, convey to us what, uh, what Satan thinks about love and how in particular Satan uses, uh, can use romantic love in a negative way. Um, so don't miss it. <laughs> Let me close us in a word of prayer. Dear Father, we pray that uh, as we think about the five different types of loves that Gary Chapman has uh, shared with us, first, thanks for him and what uh, the insight that he's, he's given to us. And as we think about our friends, our spouses, our children, um, help us to show them love in ways that will make them feel loved. In Christ's name, amen. Sure. Thanks. <laughs>